720 WGN, 11 minutes after 8 o'clock with John Landecker. Welcoming, welcoming to the program, Jacqueline Dixon, president and CEO of the Willie Dixon Blues Heaven Foundation and daughter of Mr. Willie Dixon. Jacqueline, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. And I just thank want to you let, so much for having me. I just want to let people know that I, we originally scheduled Jacqueline for 30, for 30 minutes. And then I started putting these songs together. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's going to take like, I'm going to take up like eight minutes of a half hour. Would you stay for an hour? And you graciously said yes. Because I think it's really, I think it's really cool, quite frankly, to, maybe it's just me, to to talk about, you know, your dad and Chess Records and all of that and the songs that they wrote, but then to actually have... You know, the Stones come in, for instance, and later on this hour, Johnny Rivers and and the Righteous Brothers will be here, and they'll all be on the tail end of songs that your dad's performing, and I wanted to sort of make that a audio statement, if you will, and um, that little red rooster, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to snort there, um, I I bought that Stones album when I was a kid. And, uh, okay. and then when I found out what it was really about, <laughs> I was, well, that's I, all left up to interpretation. I, oh, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> um, gosh, I got so many questions. Um, okay. first of all, let's talk about the blues heaven foundation that you're involved okay. in. What, what is that all about? Blues Heaven is a nonprofit organization that my dad started. Um, he started working on it in the late 70s. He had a lot of ideas and concepts about um, teaching the business of music to musicians. But he actually incorporated the foundation in 1982 with Muddy Waters and Mighty Joe Young as the um, first board members with him. And you're still active in that foundation today? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, what? I'm sure you've been asked this a zillion times, but make it a zillion and one. What was it like growing up in this kind of environment? You've got your dad, uh, Mr. Willie Dixon. You've got the chess brothers and the chess label. You've got all Muddy Waters and all of these just iconic musicians. Right. I would I would assume being a part of your everyday life. It was so much a part of my everyday life that I thought it was everyone's life, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I knew my dad um, did music and I knew his friends did music as a kid. You know, I um, didn't quite understand how all these people would know to come to his show. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I know what he does, but, you know, how do all these other people know? And um, so it was it was very normal to, you know, be raised with... Um, calling Muddy Waters Uncle Muddy and yeah. eating at Coco Taylor ta- um, dinner table all the time and wow. just being around musicians. And it, it was great, you know, to just have music in my life constantly. Well, Chess Records, as you will, I'm, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, um, was established in uh, Chicago in 1950. And, um, you know, the Stones talk about coming to Chicago in their early years and recording at chess records and actually making a, uh, and it's, I think it was an instrumental called 2120 South Michigan Avenue, 
which That's was correct. Where, yeah, which is where Chess Records was, I believe, from like 1957 to 1965. Um, so the, That's correct. The the, the homage or the uh, the respect that the Stones had. Well, not just the Stones, but if you go, if you go and look at the, you know these British musicians like the Stones and also uh, Eric Clapton. Um, I mean, they're they're deep into the blues uh, as um, and your dad and Muddy Waters and Bo Diddley and and other ver- Chuck Berry. They're deep, they're deep into their influences as to what got them into getting into music so i mean that, right. that's really quite a, a compliment don't you think it is you know my dad um and memphis Lim took off to europe in the uh, late 50s to look for a new audience for blues as the 60s yeah. soul sound was starting to emerge and chicago was competing with uh chess and other labels were competing with motown soul sound um the blues musicians weren't finding as much work and so he had to find a new audience, and he took off to Europe to do that. And he um, he started the the American Folk Blues Festival in 1962, and he brought over musicians to do festivals and concerts for uh, the European art uh, audience there. So um, I think that was some of their introduction um, to blues that they were unfamiliar with before. Um, yeah. Mick, Mick Jagger um, reminded my dad that he had met him many years ago um, in Piccadilly Square and asked my dad if he remembered him. And he kind of vaguely remembered him, but he there was one guy in particular named Long John Baldry that he always remembered because he was the tallest one. <laughs> Long John Baldry is one of my personal favorites, and he does this... Um... He does this song called Don't Lay No, Don't Lay no Boogie Woogie on the King of Rock and Roll. And it's got this long spoken intro where he's talking about the blues. Um, yeah. Boy, what a legacy. I'm telling you. Jacqueline Dixon, president and CEO of Willie Dixon's Blues Heaven Foundation and daughter of Mr. Willie Dixon. Uh, we'll do more when we come back on 720 WGN. Oh, yeah. I'm the one they call the Seventh Son, 822 with John Landecker at uh, WGN Radio. Jacqueline Dixon is uh, on the line. Uh, patiently waiting as we, play, as we play these tunes, uh, written by her dad, I just like to say. Uh, that was Willie Dixon, and then, of course, Johnny Rivers. Now, right. that, Johnny Rivers, that you know, the Stones doing Little Red Rooster, that was real big in the United Kingdom, but it, but it only had semi-success in the United States. I think right. it was because I don't think it was, it sounded commercial enough "Quote unquote," to use a term that I don't that I don't really buy into anyway. But Johnny Rivers, that was a huge hit. That seventh <laughs> side. I mean, that was. What did you? Does does something go through your mind when you hear these versions of your dad's work become so successful um, in that um, kind of genre, so to speak? You know, top forty AM radio. Well, you know, I knew that it could be arranged a lot of different ways because even my dad had recorded his same songs in different versions and different arrangements with different artists sometimes. And so um, it's it's all in, like I said before, sometime interpretation and then personal taste. But right. they would always send 
cassette tapes to my dad of songs when they would get a license to to record them and then they'd send him a sample before it was released and most of the time he liked them sometimes he didn't quite get it (laughs) (laughs) but he appreciated that you know they were giving him credit for it and that he was being recognized as a songwriter yes indeed um your dad did so many different things uh while he was at uh, chess records not just as a um songwriter or artist but also um producer or manager he had he wore a variety of hats did he not yeah he was an arranger uh and r man he session musician he did a lot of things there um the the blues heavens foundation that you're involved in um right. is it wants to help as i understand it uh help artists and musicians obtain what is rightfully theirs Right. What do you mean so, by that? What do you mean by that exactly? I think so that I know. Was part of, yeah, that was part of the mission statement that my dad created to teach the business of music, to teach about copyright, licensing, publishing, mm-hmm. and how to get their royalties and residuals um, even after they pass to help the families. A lot of times yes. musicians uh, would pass away and their, their family had no idea where to collect the money, if there was any money to be collected. Um, so he wanted to teach the business of music. He wanted to introduce music to a younger generation. So he wanted to do, or he did the blues in the schools programs for fourth and fifth graders. And now our mission statement is to promote, protect and preserve the blues. So essentially the same. Well, the history of recorded music is littered with artists being taken advantage of by record labels and copyrights and who owns the publishing and things like that. So this is a very worthwhile thing that uh, this mission is, is attempting to do because it it, it writes a lot of wrongs, I think. Um, It does. And it's, you know, it's still difficult because musicians then, and even now would trust that someone else was going to look out for their best interests. Um, with regard to the business aspect of it, they were artists, and so they had a passion for the music, and they didn't quite understand the business side of it. And so um, they would entrust someone else, and it didn't always work out in their favor. And then not understanding how royalties and publishing worked was definitely, you know, a downfall um, to their detriment. So. That was that's still an issue. People just think that they'll get a record out and get famous, and that the money will come, and not realizing that it, it's a chain of events that has to happen before that happens. Yeah, um, and and quite frankly, artistic people, for lack of a better term, don't necessarily have the business side of the. You know, they don't have the business education right. to be to be able to take care of all of that i mean that's a lot that's of hats right. to wear to be a to be a creative person a songwriter a singer and then on the other hand you know i'm going to be a, an accountant and a lawyer and exactly. make sure that all, i mean that's a that's impossible so yeah especially you know in blues a lot of the musicians that migrated up from mississippi to chicago and and just all over they were uneducated or undereducated and so all they had was a talent and a passion you know for blues or for music and they didn't really know how to do anything else or that there was anything else that they needed to do besides work on their craft exactly and 
you know, all it would take would be an unscrupulous, uh, that's not the right word I'm looking for, but you know what I mean, some shady yeah. uh, shady producer or record label uh, owner or something just to take advantage of people who trusted and shouldn't right. have. Yeah. Uh, we're talking to Jacqueline Dixon, president and CEO of Willie Dixon's Blues Heaven Foundation and daughter of uh, Mr. Willie Dixon. And I just want to say again, thank you for hanging out with us for this hour. Originally, it was only scheduled for 30 minutes, but I started putting these music things together. And I'm like, I can't take all this time away from talking to her. Maybe she would stick around for another 30 minutes. And of you uh, quite graciously <laughs> said yes. And that is exactly what we're going to do. Uh, coming up in the next half hour is talk some more about Willie Dixon's legacy, some of the songs that uh, you've known and loved over the years that maybe you didn't realize that this is where they came from. Willie Dixon and the Righteous Brothers put together there for uh, a song written by Mr. Willie Dixon, My Babe, and then covered by the Righteous Brothers later on, obviously. Uh, we're talking to Jacqueline Dixon, who is the president and CEO of Willie Dixon's Blues Heaven Foundation and daughter of Mr. Willie Dixon. Let's get back to that foundation. Um, okay. The Blues Heaven Foundation, the Willie Dixon Scholarships, the Muddy Waters and Willie Dixon Scholarships, the Music Clinics, uh, Music in the Garden, Record Row Festival, and Emergency Assistance. Tell us about those. Okay. Um, those programs, like I said, were um, started with the foundation in uh, 82, and Muddy Waters being the first board member, we started the Muddy Waters Scholarship, and then we added the Willie Dixon Scholarship um, about 10 years later. Um, our summer program, we have one concert left this year. For 20 years, we've been doing the record row concerts in the Willie Dixon Blues Garden, which is right adjacent to the Chess Records building at 2120 South Michigan Avenue. Uh, that's the, the location of the foundation, and we're actually open for tours by reservation. Uh, we were closed for two year, years during the pandemic, but we're trying to resume our regular business hours. And we, um, we've we been doing the concerts, like I said, for 20 years, and we have one left this Thursday with Cheryl Youngblood, and then we have some other programs coming up and, and events. We just completed a screening of the Billy Stewart documentary from PBS on Saturday, and we had uh, a panel there with um, musicians that had recorded at Chess and along the whole record row area there from Cermak to um, to Roosevelt Road. All of that area was considered or was um, was called Record Row, and it right. had over a dozen record labels and distribution companies. Um, so we have another event coming up on October 22nd. It's uh, Fleetwood Mac in Chicago, 1969 book. Um, it's a photo book, and it's gonna we're gonna have a uh, the book for sale with the signing and the um, and let's see, it's some more to this event, <laughs> but. Uh, we're, it's open to the public. We're not asking for an admission price, but mm -hmm. we are asking for a donation, and it's in the Chess Records building, and that's October 22nd from 4 to 7 p.m. I'm unfamiliar yeah. with the documentary that you just mentioned about Billy Stewart. Uh, tell, can, right. tell us some more about that. Okay, it's called Fat Boy, and it was produced by uh, a woman 
from Indiana, I'm sorry, from Washington, D.C., and um, she... She's she's an Emmy winning uh, journalist and I'm sorry, uh, producer. And this was one of the passions she had for Billy Stewart because they were both from D.C. area. And so she they did a lot of the uh, recording of the video of the, the documentary in the studio because that was he was a chess recording artist. So they recorded a lot of the footage there. And then we did a, a screening of that on Saturday. Wow, that's impressive. Will there be an opportunity for us to see it? Or is it going to be released through some platform? Yeah, it's, it's available on PBS and oh, also, okay. also on YouTube. So it's uh, the Billy Stewart story. Um, so all these, all of these foundations, uh, emergency assistance, music clinics, music in the garden, record row festival, um, you obviously need some sort of support. How do we yeah. go about? How do we go about supporting you, Jacqueline? Well, like um, I mentioned before, we're a nonprofit organization, and we are solely supported through donations. Um, we have a gift shop in our um, in where the um, lobby used to be for when chess was there mm-hmm. and we do the tours. We ask $20 donation for that. And then we're just hoping that people will come and continue to support us and, and people send us donations. We've got a few sponsors um, here and there, and they've helped out tremendously with, as we're trying to restore the studios um, for recording again. No um, kidding. Right. That sounds very cool. You're actually trying to read. Redo the chess studios? Yes, we are. Um, we've had the there. When you walk into the control room, there's a uh, window, and you can yeah. see that in like movies like Cadillac Records or in different photographs of uh, recordings from the past, including when the Rolling Stones were there in '69. You can right. see it, and and so the the floor used to be raised, and it was removed. My mom purchased the building in 19. 19- uh, 97, 1992, which was the year that my dad passed. He had expressed an interest in wanting to purchase the building before, but the manager that he had and the owner, the owner at the time, Gerald Sims, who was a musician for chess, a session musician, they had conflicts. And so he, my dad wasn't allowed to purchase it. He made a couple attempts to do that. and um, But the year that he passed, Gerald actually offered the building back to the Chess family. He called Phil Chess, who lived in Arizona, and offered it back to him because he was having issues, um, challenges with maintaining it. And Phil immediately called, and I took the call, and he said, to, you know, he reached out to my mom to purchase it. He said, tell your mom, go get it. She does, Willie deserves it. You know, he had an interest in it, and if anybody should have it, it, it would be Willie. And at the time, my mom was in Chicago looking at properties with a realtor who was trying to show her some clubs that had been in existence a long time, including Buddy Guy's Legends, because at the time he was was leasing it uh, in his first location, and my mom refused to even consider looking at Buddy's club. She had known Buddy since they were both 20 years old. Wow. What a backstory. (laughs) What a backstory. Unbelievable. Uh, We're going to take a break and be right back on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. I'm John Landecker. Uh, thanks for tuning in. It's 849. We're talking to Jacqueline Dixon, the president and CEO of Willie Dixon's Blues Heaven Foundation. And 
daughter, Mr. Willie Dixon, and uh, talking about his legacy, the legacy of Chess Records, and, uh, you know, some very sad news with the passing of uh, Ramsey Lewis, who just played a little bit of uh, the in crowd. And he's one of the... He's one of the musicians that contributed to the legacy of Chess Records, isn't that right? Yes, that is correct. Chess had um, a jazz collection uh, and jazz catalog as well as blues, gospel, uh, comedy. They covered many different genres. And Ramsey Lewis, we actually play uh, in crowd in our tours. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Chicago Very unfortunate was- passing. Yeah, lost a real treasure, real treasure. Um, so the Willie Dixon Foundation and, and your work, um, let me, before we're going to run out of time eventually, but I want to make sure that it's understood how people can come see what you've, what you're working on there and how people can make contributions. Where is all of this located now? Um oh. And, and how do we get there? When do we get there? Uh, what are your hours? That kind of thing. Okay. Well, they can find us at bluesheaven.com. That's our website. Okay. And it, uh, you can make a reservation to take the tour. Um, we're open Thursday through Saturday for tours from noon to four. And then for our programs, um, we post those on the website as well as we have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You know, I, I hope people realize that uh, Willie Dixon uh, is a Im- really important link between the blues and rock and roll. Uh, we've given you some inst- instances of uh, songs that Mr. Dixon wrote that were covered by others like the Rolling Stones and Johnny Rivers and the Righteous Brothers. But uh, the list of people that your dad worked with, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, and I think it should be noted that your father received a Grammy Award was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Um, what an incredible guy. Uh, and, and I'm guessing all self-taught as far as a musician. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Um, he started writing poetry as a child because my grandmother was a poet. Really? Um, she didn't allow Yes. <laughs> wow. She didn't allow any secular music in the house, but yeah. she encouraged the kids to speak in rhyme. He talks about that in his autobiography. And um, <sighs> so he always kind of had a, a rhythm, uh, even as a kid, you know, uh, for words and putting words together. And But because he grew up in Vicksburg, Mississippi, which was, you know, in the Delta, and they had the Delta-style blues, yeah. he kind of took a following to a, a person, a musician that was from Chicago, Brother Montgomery. That was his favorite position in the world that they'd go by on a flatbed truck, just run behind them and follow them. And uh, they became very close friends, actually, uh, years later. But that was part of the early influences. Um, but he didn't really get into music. He had kind of dabbled with um, gospel music as a as a singer um, yeah. and parts of uh, gospel jubilees and quartets. And, and he was... Um, a boxer. When he came to Chicago, he won the Illinois 37 for the heavyweight division. And while working out at the gym, <laughs> he actually. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, yeah, he yeah, inspired go- with Joe Lewis, as a matter of fact. No, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
1937, winning the Illinois Golden Gloves heavyweight boxing competition. Put that yeah. in your put that in your Willie in your Willie Dixon trivia file. Holy cow! That is really something. That is yeah. really something. What so, a guy! And what a guy! He he met a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Baby Ducaston, Leonard Baby Ducaston, and his son uh, Leonard Baby Leonard Caston Jr. was one of the co-founders of. Earth, Wind, and Fire with Maurice White and Louis right. Satisfield, because they were all session musicians for chess as well. But um, he Man. met Baby Doo. They started doing jazz together, and that's what kind of launched his musical career, that he never looked back at anything else. But he was suspended as a boxer anyway. He, he and his manager had a fight in the commissioner's office, <laughs> so his boxing career was over anyway. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Wow. I am so glad we got to talk to you. Um, not only not only to help you with your current foundation work, but these tidbits of information that you're throwing out are just mind boggling, Jacqueline. I mean, wow. What a story. What a guy. Uh, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. I really appreciate it. And uh, all the best in the future. Chess Records and your dad and the blues are part of chicago dna as far as i'm concerned and uh, long may it rain thank you for being with us jacqueline really appreciate it That's thank you Jacqu- so much for having me